0: Welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and Afaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV. Abe, we've reached the final leg of a very, very long and trying weekend. Kudos to you, sir. You're you're a hero in my eyes. Thank you, sir. We have on the couch. One day, got to be in the Hall of Fame, bro. You deserve it. Downtown Bruno, Harvey Whippleman, sir, thank you for joining the broadcast. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, doing the show here.
0: Yeah, with you. Well, we we're looking forward to having you. We were talking earlier uh, on the channel. We have numerous shows with numerous podcasters, this being the lead show. Um, but you were on our friends and family, uh, Dan and Benny, in a ring a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they were very happy with the interview um i listened to it, it was fantastic you're well, quite the you. talker so i'm looking forward to, ha- to having a few discussions here
1: let's do it to it Sonny pruitt
0: well you were at the big event in new york
1: yeah sure what was. were your
0: thoughts of the event
1: oh you know what it was great i was with uh, at the table with uh, uh one of my dearest friends brooklyn brawler steve lombardi and also uh uh joining us was la resistance uh, rob conway uh sylvan uh, Brunier and uh, Rene Dupree, great guys, and we were brought in by uh, Bobby Rydell and Joe Matthews, two other great guys. So, I mean, I really enjoyed reuniting with people that I enjoy being around and uh, interacting with the fans, meeting some fans, and, uh, you know, and uh, the fellowship and the atmosphere. It was really good. I always enjoy those uh, events and meeting everyone, and, uh, you know, anytime I get an opportunity to to, uh, be at one of them, you know, if somebody calls me to come, I normally go.
0: How does it make you feel at, like, today's wrestling fan? It's been a while, right, that still love and adore you and they want your autograph and picture with you. Like, what kind of feeling does that give you? Well,
1: it makes me feel good because, you know, I've been doing this for 44 years. I started in Yeah, 1979. Um, And other than a few sporadic appearances here and there as a special referee or special guest manager or something, uh, I hadn't really been, when I say in the ring or at ringside or whatever, on a full-time basis for over 25 years. But, you know, that means a lot to me. And uh, more so than, like, up here in New York or whatever, at home, which is a lot of people might not know or they might know, Memphis area is my home. And, you know, my phrase in Memphis for years that put me on the map was, it's like Mama says, it bees that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm still, I'll be in the store, the Kroger's or the – Walmart or just wherever, restaurant, and somebody will walk up to me and say, Hey, downtown Bruno, mama says it bees that way. So that makes me feel good that it, I made an impression on people that much that I hadn't been on TV in, like, you know, what, 25, 30 years. It's been I a bit. But I still remember that. It's and been a bit. So it, uh, no, it means a lot to me, you know, because I'm going to tell you, a lot of people don't know this, uh, but, I'm sure you do, being a wrestling, you know, person. Trust
0: me, I don't know a lot. You're probably telling telling me the first time. I'm no wrestling expert, but go ahead.
1: Well, I I bet you know this, though. Uh, Years ago, it was territories. It was regional, Mm -hmm. you know, before, you know, the uh, WWF at the time, and E now, you know, went national and then, you know, worldwide. So years ago, the only... Wrestling people saw was their regional wrestling before the advent of cable t v and obviously way before internet and online and whatnot, so every part of the country had their own regional wrestling that's the only wrestling they saw you know, so in the Memphis area uh the only wrestling that people in within the i don't know the parameters but I'm saying four hundred miles or whatever of the Memphis area, all you could see was. CWA, which was Memphis Wrestling, which changed to USWA, but we just call it Memphis Wrestling. So it was the strongest television show in the entire Memphis uh, viewing uh, market, period. At that time, back in the 80s, the Memphis Wrestling, which was every Saturday morning, had higher ratings in the area than wherever the top shows were at the time. The Cosby Show, Roseanne, Cheers. Uh, you know, Hill Street Blues, whatever the shows were there. And and I can tell you, and I always say this to every podcast I do or every radio interview, TV interview I do, this is God's honest truth. And and I'm not putting myself over patting myself on the back. It's the TV that was so strong. I know for that brief period of time when we had lightning in the bottle, I know what Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and George Clooney and those people go through on a, Worldwide level, you know, with the people stalking them and people just gathering around them, you know, and people say, Oh, Bruno, you're just trying to, you know, blow smoke up your own butt. No, I'm not. But again, it ain't me. It was the TV was so strong. And they didn't see rick Flair. They didn't see Hulk Hogan. They didn't see Devon the Erics. They didn't see whoever was, you know, the main guys, you know, to come along because it was just our area Jerry the King Lawler, Superstar Bill Dundee. Uh, Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Coco Beware, Rocky Johnson, myself, man anywhere I went, I was surrounded. And I I mean, I couldn't go to a restaurant and just eat. I couldn't walk around the Mall of Memphis, which ain't even there no more. But back then, it was the main place everybody went. I couldn't even walk around there. It was too, I mean, they weren't trying to attack me or nothing, but it was, you know what I mean? It was just dangerous, you know. It was but
0: too- it, on the good part of it, right, did you get, like, offered free food all the time, free drinks, free hotels, things like yeah, that? Yeah, sometimes.
1: Not always, but sometimes. Um, but the funny thing is, yeah, I did get that happen sometimes. And you know what's funny? If people think you're broke, they won't give you nothing free. If they think you're rich, they want to give you free stuff. It don't – I don't get it. <laughs> you know, what? I was That's very rich, good. That's good. I've been a good living, you know, and still do. But I'm saying back then, you know, in the early 80s, I ain't going to – lied to you. we weren't getting rich I was making a living but they because I was on TV every week they figure oh he's on TV he must be right. filthy rich well not necessarily the case you know but yeah but yeah everywhere I went it was I mean for that period of time I, I know it's an overused expression but we had lightning in a bottle at that time you know it was just unreal wow. Memphis Memphis made me you know it made me
0: is that, that's where you started in Memphis right
1: well, that's not where I started, that's my home area, that's where I got my break. You know, I had been in, uh, before I got my break by Jared King Lawler, who I owe a hell of a lot to in this world, um, but I was in Hawaii territory for uh, the my years I had worked in Kansas City with uh, the NWA, the original NWA, you know, with Bob Goggle, when he was the president of the NWA, so, uh, you know, I done a, you know i worked for dale mann and mid-continental out of kentucky as well in west virginia uh i think ohio too but the main break i got the best exposure and what set me you know on fire at that time was memphis so i owe everything i mean memphis made me without memphis i wouldn't be sitting here today with you well let, let me ask you
0: a question right so on the show, once in a while, me and my partner used to do a thing called head-to-head, right? And we'd put two wrestlers together, and then we would judge them on, like, ring skills, mic skills, things like that. Right. You were in Memphis. You saw how popular Jerry Lawler was. Absolutely. Was, would it, tell me what your feelings are. Would you say Lawler, you would compare Lawler to a Bruno Sammartino or a Hulk Hogan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about Bruno Sammartino, so I can't.
0: Right. I, I would, it wouldn't be fair for me to
1: discuss him, but yeah, Hulk Hogan, sure. Hogan himself will tell you that he learned a lot in Memphis from Jerry King Lawler. Like when Lawler would uh, make his comeback, he would pull the strap down, and that was it. You know, and bam, 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 boom, it was time to go home. Well, Hogan basically does the same thing. Instead of pulling the strap, he does that Hulk up thing, you know, and he got the doing with the ear from Austin Idol who was a main guy in Memphis, babyface and heel, depending on the circumstance. So, uh, yeah, in Memphis, Lawler was absolutely like the Hogan. You know, I mean, honestly, when he would pull that strap down, that whole auditorium would come unglued, and it was great. I mean, I loved being in the ring with him. He was the best guy I ever worked with in the ring. I never had to worry about getting hurt. I never had to worry about having a bad match. You know, because I've wrestled him. I mean, wrestling wasn't my main thing. It was mostly managing and then later refereeing. But I wrestled quite a bit in Memphis, and I wrestled Lawler many a times. And uh always had a good match. And I'm not saying I was great in the ring. I'm very limited, and, I, and I'm the first to admit it. But I know how to work my my gimmick. I know what my limitations are. So, And we always had good matches. It was great. I, I mean, I can't say a negative word about his work in the ring or especially his work with me, you know. How were you guys?
0: Because you guys did what every at the same arena every Monday night, right? Every Monday
1: night was Mid South Coliseum in Memphis. And you were you packed every Monday night? I mean, it wasn't sold out every Monday night. Sometimes it was. And it, it was good houses during you know before naturally when things changed years later. You know, with, you know as we discussed cable TV and whatnot. But yeah, it was you know very good houses most of the time. Memphis every Monday, Louisville Gardens every Tuesday, Evansville Coliseum every Wednesday. Thursday, uh Spot Show, Friday Spot Show, Saturday Memphis TV Saturday Morning Live, Saturday night Nashville Fairgrounds Sports Arena. Sunday could either be Rupp Arena in Lexington, maybe Jackson Tennessee or maybe a spot show or maybe an off day. But uh, we had good houses like I said for the the 80s were on fire. Now towards the end of the 80s when cable started, you know, becoming pre- prevalent and you know people could see other wrestling and you could sit home and watch it instead of come out okay. you know naturally things started to uh i don't know if unravels the right word but you know just started to take the course so
0: so at that point were you were you thinking to yourself hmm, i might have to get out of memphis and try to get into another organization where cable tv is more prevalent
1: i really wasn't because by that time i was in charge of the rings you know i was. A referee, but I was also I had my own crew to get the rings to you know put up and took down and and transported from town to town. Um, now some of the places already had the ring like the Louisville, Evansville, Nashville had the ring already there, so that I didn't have to deal with that. But Memphis and any spot shows around Memphis, I had my own crew and TV, Memphis TV. So I was. Uh, Satisfied just being a referee and putting them being in charge of the ring crews. I mean, I didn't have any idea, none of us did, you know, that just because Bennett was down, that things were going to go away completely, you know, which it did. So it's funny you said that. I wasn't trying to go nowhere. And uh, Howard Finkel called me back in, I'm the world's worst of years, I think it was 89, might have been 90 or whatever, to want to know was I interested in coming to work for WWE. Uh, of course, F at the time, but we always say WWE now. Um, and I told Laura, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty satisfied here. You know, I've got a pretty secure position. I, I don't think I'm going to go. And he says, oh, really? WWE called you and you're going to stay here with Fat Raymond and Chili Willie and put the ring up and take it down? I said, well, i got a secure, a secure spot here. He goes, no, you don't. You're fired. So it, him firing me was, you know, what the best thing that ever happened to me. You know what I mean? Right. Because I was naive enough to think that Things were going to last forever in Memphis. Well, obviously they didn't. and I would have been out of a job and out of the business at, probably at that point. So now, forty-four years later, I'm pretty happy that he fired I'm,
0: me. But stupid question though. Like, like Finkel's up north. You're in Memphis. How do you guys even know each other?
1: Well, I never knew him. I never met him in my life. But Howard, who was a tremendous guy, God bless his soul. He was the walking encyclopedia of our profession. You know, and he was the one that would. Uh, know what was going on in each territory, you know, he would be able to tell, you know, Vince or whoever, you know, you know, we need a manager. Well, there's a guy in Memphis that's doing a great job, Bruno, whatever. But Plus, Sid put a word in for me. He was up there several months before me. And I guess they were wanting a, another manager because at that time, they were, damn near every heel, had their own manager. And I guess, you know, my name got brought up. And I knew at that point I'd been in the business 10, 11 years already. So. I guess a lot of people, and I always got along with everybody. I never had problems with, I could count on one hand the people I had problems with Mm. over the years, which I don't even glorify them by bringing up their name. You know what I mean? Um, So everybody, oh, yeah, Bruno, he's a good guy. He was always good to me when I came to Memphis. He was, you know, uh," so that's, you know, whoever, I don't know who, but somebody said, Howard, get a hold of, of, uh, you know, Bruno Lauer, downtown Bruno, and uh, see if he's interested in coming up. Whoever told him that, you know. And it was funny because, There was no cell phones back then. So I was living at that time in Jerry the King Lawler's guest house behind his house on Walnut Grove in East Memphis. But the day that Howard decided to call me, we were in Tell City, Indiana for a spot show. I had my ring crew up there, and I was in the ticket booth. While they were putting the ring up, before Eddie Marlon would get there, I would sell tickets to advanced people. So the, the phone rang in the ticket booth, and it was Howard Finkel. And he says, oh, I'd like to speak to Bruno. So he found out where I was at somehow. He must have called the Jarrett's office or whatever. They said I was up there. Well, I thought it was one of the boys, you know, screwing with me or whatever. So I just, I said, oh, yeah, good for you. Goodbye. Then he called back again. I, mean, I didn't know if it was Tom Pritchard or Tony Anthony or who it was messing with me. I didn't really believe it was Howard Finkel from right. WWF. Um, so anyway, long story short, we got it worked out. And I went to Worcester, Massachusetts for my initial visit and meet with everyone, and I've been there. Every you know, I got my
0: deal. Well, in that original phone call takes though. Are are you like, I don't know. You, look, you've been in Memphis a long time. You have this loyalty to Loyola and Jarrett, right? You're living in the guy's guest house. I right. mean, geez, are you like excited that you could be going to the W? I know you said that you said, "Hey, I'm secure here," whatever else. But what was the inner turmoil with you? Uh, obviously, I would assume the excitement to be able to come up to the WWE just. To say you, for your career,
1: well, sure. Well, the thing is, yeah. I mean, obviously, I did want to go, but I also knew I was secure in Memphis, and I was, I was afraid. What if I get up to up there and it, it don't work out? They don't like my work, or they don't like my manager, or I, or, or whatever, you know. And uh, that's when Lawler t- said, "Well, if they don't like you, I'll let you put in an application."
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So,
1: but I went up there, and everything, you know, they've been so they've made my life. You, you know? go up there. Correct.
0: again to be fair you know big time right the major yeah, leagues you, you're, you're home can you tell me the first time you meet vince McMahon and what you will what what it was like how did you feel
1: I felt very comfortable. He was the most personable, friendly. As he knew who I was. Wait right me, but
0: you weren't like, oh my God, it's Vince McMahon. Well, uh, inside, you know. yeah, but I wasn't yeah.
1: going to, you know, act like a goof. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to make sure I made a good impression. And uh, no, he was very personable, very friendly, very professional. Shook my hand, knew who I was right away.
0: Can you can you share a little bit about the conversation or like what what was the interaction like? Was he as big as life as you expected? I mean, what was it like? Oh, sure.
1: He. Uh, well, what happened was, he, you know, at. At TV, he always has his own little private office at the at the arenas. And uh, they said, okay, uh, Vince wants to meet with you now. They didn't say Mr. McMahon or Vince wants to meet, meet with you now. So uh, me and uh, Sid and Pat Patterson and Vince was in the room together. And Vince said, welcome aboard. Welcome. How are you? I, I'm familiar with you, this, that, and the other. And uh, Hogan had told him about me, too, you know, and said, oh, he's been giving the King a hard time in Memphis for a lot of years. Good guy. And Hogan treated me like gold, too. So, no, Vince made me feel very comfortable, you know. I mean, yeah, you're intimidated a little bit by the most powerful man in our industry, don't get me wrong. But he wasn't an intimidating person, if you know what I mean. It wasn't like, okay, you know, like his character on TV.
0: Well, did he give you a list of expectation, what he's expecting from you and
1: what no. your role's going to be? No, he just told me to go out there and uh, in a dark interview with Gene Oakland just a dart in front of the audience just to see how I could interact with Oakland and with, the, you know, my talking and my, I guess my, you know, physical you know gesture or whatever, you know, he just wanted to see, he didn't want to see it back in the back, you know, he wanted to see it out there in front of the crowd. So me and Oakland did a uh, back and forth for like 10 minutes uh, in front of the crowd and uh, evidently Vince liked it.
0: Okay. Cause I, you know, I'm just a fan, right? So I only know what I hear. I, right? I was asking, did, did Vince, right? Come here for a second. Let's go over this. You could have done this, or he was totally happy with what you did.
1: Now, here's the funny thing. I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe you're just uh, having – did you read this in the book? or is this... No, sir. I oh, okay, okay.
0: I... I'm just a genius interviewer, that's all, right. all. well,
1: how about this? <laughs> when Vince – all he told me when I went out there to do the thing with Oakland, all he said, he didn't give me no bullet points, he didn't give me any, here's what I want. He says, show me what you can do. He goes, show me something I've never seen before that's all he said so went out there and we me and Gene briefly talked we didn't go over anything but we just kind of went with we were up in Massachusetts and I'm from Mississippi so we were going to work since nobody knew me up there except hardcore fans that might have you know followed me on the in the magazines or something nobody really knew me so we were doing the angle where we're up here in Massachusetts I'm Gene Oakland and I'm well, I'm from Mississippi. We don't like you, Northern. Or, you know, that type of thing. Just to somehow get the people against me, you know. So we're going back and forth. And so Gene's playing right into it with me, doing a great job. Well, I have nothing against the great state of Mississippi, but except for one thing, I don't like you or, you know, something. Well, right. So I reached back and I slapped him, okay. That wasn't told for me to do or whatever. I just slapped him. And Gene looked at me and I looked at him. And then he was, I can't believe you did that, blah, blah, blah. We're going to. Okay. So we get in the back. And uh, Vince says, "Uh, interview was great. I didn't like the slap. I said, oh, boy, here we go. Let me call Lawler. I'm going back to put up the ring. So, whatever. So, I'm like dejected. and Gene came through the curtain or whatever, and Vince was telling me that. And Vince calls me to decide. He goes, can you come to Portland, Maine tomorrow night? I said, yes, sir. He goes, do it again he goes but this time slap him harder <laughs> great yes so that's that was the only direction so we did it again and, and you know that was that on that so i'm <laughs> that's it, that's how that went um
0: one fan asks uh any funny uh any funny stories with managing kamala
1: nothing really funny i mean you know we we, we was uh Main event with Undertaker all over the place and main event with Ultimate Warrior all over the place. So uh, nothing funny. It was, you know, it was matches were good with uh, Undertaker. And uh, let's just say the matches with Ultimate Warrior were uh, matches. They I got gotcha. you. Yeah. But, you know, they...
0: I'm going to I'm going to bring you down a different road since, you know, this is just purely a fan's question, but I think we should discuss it. Uh, it's pretty wide and within the wrestling industry that Kamala felt that he was taken advantage of as a wrestler, especially in those matches against Undertaker Bay wise. i, I, I want. to I just want you to share your thoughts. Yeah, please.
1: Let me tell you completely untrue. A hundred percent untrue. Um, without getting because he's not here to defend himself. So I'm not going to get too deep into it, but uh, basically he had some sort of financial issues. Okay. And, Therefore, every week he would bring he would meet me up in Memphis. He lived in Tate County, Mississippi, right, and which is further south in Desoto County, Mississippi, where I'm from, where I live. Uh, and my bank account was in Memphis. Kamala didn't have a bank account. Every week on payday, he would meet me at up in East Memphis at the bank where I did banking at the time, with his check, sign it over to me, and. Of course, people in the bank knew who I was, and they knew I was stealing somebody's check. So I would cash his check every week, and I'd come out to the car and give him his, his money. And uh, let me tell you, without getting into specifics, and deservedly so, he was the one in the ring. He was making a hell of a lot more than I was, a hell of a lot, and I was making decent. Um, and for him to say that he wasn't making any money, it's completely 100% untrue. He was being paid very well. And I, if I would have photocopied or one of those pay stubs, I can show it, you know. But he, I, for some reason, he decided to make up that they weren't paying him. I mean, he went on one, uh, I don't know if it was a podcast or a website, what it was, told everybody that he couldn't afford a, a hotel room. Hmm. And, it, me, and me and him and Steve Lombardi always traveled together. And Kamala told it on some form, I can't remember what it was, it said that me and Steve stayed in the hotel room and Kamala had to sleep in the car because he couldn't afford to pay a hotel room, and we wouldn't let him stay with us. I mean, that's ridiculous. So, no, those, uh, you know, somebody said, was there any funny stories? No, but that was, I mean, that was just so untrue, blatantly. Not even a, this much true to any of that, to none of it. And as far as what Undertaker or whoever was paid, I don't know, It's not my business. Right. Okay, uh, now, just being a, a sensible person that's been in the business for many years was undertaker paid more than uh, Kamala for being in the same match more than likely I don't know that for a fact and I could, I couldn't testify to that more than likely he was the one that was the Hulk Hogan at the time he was the one that was the John Cena at the time or the whoever you want to name um so naturally the the main guy is going to make more than the guy that's there to, to uh, work with him I mean that's just how it works that's not there's nothing wrong with that
0: right. Did he ever tell you the Andre the Giant story when he put a gun in his uh He used to trunks. say that, but
1: like I said, I wasn't there knowing that he made up about his finances and all that, his checks or whatnot. I'm not saying it was true or not true, the Andre right, story. I right. wasn't there, so I can't say. So maybe it was true, maybe it wasn't. I don't know.
0: You mentioned Sid a few times. Tell me about the person Sid, one as a human being and then the other as a wrestler.
1: Well, Sid's a great guy. Um, we go way back um, in fact, I got him his first full-time job in the wrestling business um, in 80, I think it was like 86, I ain't sure, I can't remember, 85, I don't know. Uh, the Robert Fuller was booking Continental, which was the Alabama uh, territory, and he wanted to do the Lord Humongous gimmick with the hockey mask and the leather straps and all that. And he asked me if I knew anybody that would look the part. He says you don't have to be a, you know, lutez in the ring or Shawn michaels now or whatever you know just he's just gonna be a big you know got it looks the part well i knew sid would would uh absolutely fit the part you know so uh i contacted sid we went to alabama robert uh hired him as lord humongous i was his manager and uh that's how he got started and he was you know i and sid himself would probably tell you he was very green at the time he was brand new to the business but uh he learned to work cuz he worked with Danny Davis every night not the WWE Danny Davis but Nightmare Danny Davis right. but, mm-hmm. um who was a great worker A small guy but muscular good worker he worked with him a lot he worked with Bob Armstrong who was a tremendous worker um worked with Wendell Cooley who was a good worker different you know guys so that's where Sid learned how to work and uh, uh Eddie Gilbert came in later as the booker and when Eddie left to go to I don't remember if it was WCW or the Crockett's. I don't know because I didn't go. But he took Sid, and that's the first time he took him out of the mask and made him – you know, cause Sid had that good, mean-looking face, and, right. you know, rugged uh, face, tremendous body. So.
0: Sid was a prototypical, like, if you wanted to build a wrestler, that, that was the guy.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt there. No doubt, no argument. So, a uh, very good friend of mine. And like I said, he was instrumental in helping me get my foot in the door with uh, WWE. And I'll never forget that. You know, he, he, when they asked him about me, he certainly put me on a pedestal. So, um, great guy. We're very good friends um, to this day. We haven't spoken in about a couple months. Um, but that doesn't mean we're not friends, which just means we just haven't spoken. Do,
0: but... you, do you still talk to a bunch of your brothers, uh... Often I talk to
1: Lawler all the time. I talk to him. How
0: How is Jerry Lawler after everything that's gone on? Uh, How's he doing? How's the recovery coming?
1: You know, he seems like he's doing a hell of a lot better. He's uh, actually going to make his first uh, appearance on on a a con or whatever you call those get together's convention. He's going to be at that WrestleCade in North Carolina, November something. I which I can plug him. I don't remember the date. November something. Um, uh, From what I understand, he's not going to do any signing. I guess his his uh, motor skills with it are still a little bit uh, not up to the par he would like them to be, but he's just going to be doing pictures, posing for pictures. Uh, we talked, like I said last night, his uh, he's getting, it sounds a lot better every time I talk to him. His mind is fine. He didn't lose any of his cognitive right. uh, skills. Or and anything. his
0: speech is better.
1: Better. It's mm-hmm. not 100% yet, uh, but it's a lot better. Uh, what it is, basically, he might know what he's gonna wants to say and you can tell he knows it but he just can't hundred percent articulate it if you know what I mean. Right. So I mean we all do that sometimes. Like I might be you might ask me where I ate lunch today. Oh uh, <laughs> you know whatever. Yeah right. But then I'd say oh yeah and I can picture the play you know whatever. But yeah sure. And I think that's what he's going through now. I I think
0: so I'm gonna go back a little bit. I'm a big television guy and I love the young rock and I'll be honest with you all the stories they were telling I had no idea that you had that involvement with the rock first i want to talk to you about your relationship with rocky's father the great rocky johnson can you tell me anything about that oh my
1: god yeah he was like a second father to me but the one that let me drink and smoke and do whatever i wanted, you know but uh, what happened was Like I said, I'm the world's worst at years, maybe 85, 84, 83, I don't hell, I don't know. But years and years ago, I was working for Bob Geigle in Kansas City, the old original NWA, Central States Territory it was called at the time, and uh, Rocky was there, and that's when I was just getting my feet started trying to manage. Um, So Bob Goggle would just have me in a suit and sit in a chair in the corner, don't do anything. if it was time for me to do something, get up, do it, go sit back down or whatever, you know. And Rocky knew I could do a hell of a lot better than that. You know, I I was active, I could run around the ring. But Bob Geiger was like, you know, the old school. I mean, God bless Bob Geiger. I loved him. God rest his soul. But that just he was old school. I mean if he was still alive today, he'd probably be a hundred years old, you mm-hmm, know. So right. Um He didn't go for the entertainment type thing. Well Rocky knew that was where I should be you know, what I should be doing. So he goes, why don't you come to Hawaii and work for the, uh, my VIAs? I'm helping doing the booking over there, and we'll let you manage uh, over there. Well, that's when I me and Rocky became very tight. I was over there managing and running around and doing all my, you know, stuff and getting over. Because be, I ain't going to brag, but I was pretty damn good when I was young. I, you know, that's not really bragging. It's me just being confident in my own abilities. I was getting over. Um. Lawler came over to Hawaii in, in whatever year it was and asked Rocky if I could manage him that night in the event. Lawler loved the way I managed him because Lawler was the bad guy to heel mm-hmm. over there. So uh, one thing led to another, and that's how I wound up getting my break in Memphis. So, uh, you know, I went from Hawaii to Memphis. Mm-hmm. So Rocky was instrumental in, uh, you know, how, you know, how things just, you know, what's the old song, uh, chain of events, uh, cause and effect chain of events. All the chaos makes perfect sense. And, you know, Rocky and Lawler, you know, it all came together because of Rocky bringing me to Honolulu from Kansas city. So that's how that began. And then, uh, of course, Dewey, Dwayne, the rock, the great one, Rocky's son. Of course, everybody knows there's no spoiler alert there, you know, and, uh, uh, not long after that, Rocky came to Memphis territory with Dewey, his son. And a lot of that is uh, portrayed in the show, Young Rock, but...
0: Is that realistic, the way they portrayed it, or is it kind of just it's, like well, no, freedom?
1: It's, it's realistic, but they added comedy and, you know, things that didn't actually happen. Right. But in theory, it's all realistic. Just, what's the word, embellished or exaggerated or whatever. But yeah, Rocky... Asked me, could uh, Dewey live with me? And I said, yeah, Rocky went off and did his thing, and Dewey and me. I mean, I'm like 19, and he's like 12 or whatever it was, you know. So what a hell of a father figure I was, you know, or he was 14. Clearly,
0: clearly a pretty good one considering how the guy turned out, Turned right? out, yeah. yeah. So not but, too bad, not too shabby. Yeah,
1: so we, that's how me and him got close. And once again, all these chain of events.
0: So I'm, I'm, I told you, shows goes into more in-depth stuff. So I, this is kind of a tough question for okay. you. you you said it yourself you you got pushed into his father figure role and you obviously you did a fantastic job had many guys in here that had relationships with Rocky Johnson and even the show kind of shows that Rocky seemed to be very aloof and in a lot of points seemed not to be caring towards his wife and the family uh And to be honest with you, like cheating on his wife on a consistent basis, right? And I'm sure Rocky or Dewey knew this was happening. The young Rocky, how was that affecting him knowing that his father was doing this to his mother?
1: Well, to be quite honest with you, uh, back in when he was a teenager, staying with me, I don't know if he knew that was happening or not. He just knew that Rocky was off. Doing his own thing. I'm. I don't think. Do. I mean, uh, Rocky Senior. You know, Rocky Johnson was letting his son know that, and I certainly didn't feel like it was my place. to, You know. Sure. So, no. Honestly, I. I, I don't think that was an issue. Just him being absentee a lot. I think but, but you issue. could.
0: I'm just saying you could see on the show he loves his father, but you could see the way it's written that he makes sure that as an audience member, you knew. That his father was not doing right by his. Yeah, mother.
1: I think that, th- that 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 that's part of the realism of it. They were showing it. It wasn't. This might outdate me, but you know, it wasn't the Ozzy and Harriet family or the you know the, the what I you know what I mean one of those shows where Beaver Cleaver family. Yeah, it wasn't obviously, but the show itself, as you asked a minute ago, going around the. Back around to what you asked, was it realistic in a lot of ways? I never, everybody asked me, Did you used to really cook eggs in the toilet? No, I didn't do that, <laughs> so that's something that's funny. But we were living in a little, uh, you know, quote unquote, uh, old shack by the railroad track, it wasn't really, it was a, just a cheap motel, but uh, it's all I could afford at the time, you know. But I didn't cook eggs in a toilet, but we were living in a little cracker box, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, sure, and a lot of those different things, like I. I bought Dewey his first car, but in the show, I guess, timeline-wise, they showed him and some guy at a pizza place in Pennsylvania bought his first car. Well, It was in Tennessee, Nashville, downtown Nashville, and Lower Broad. We got him his first car, but they changed that for whatever reason. I don't care. I mean, I didn't get it, but, I mean, I was okay with it. All right. Um, but, yeah, the show itself was, uh, like I said, there was a lot of uh, embellishments, but other than the car – purchase thing most of it at least the parts that i was involved in were accurate but embellished that'd be the best way to put it
0: now was he a troubled like they also portray him as a troubled teen and now here you're on his father role How, what kind of pressure was that on you
1: <laughs> well let me put it like this i was barely out of my teens at the time right. too and and this ain't like i'm t- talking on Dwayne. he would tell you this himself he even had him put it in the young rock show hell he would go out and shoplift stuff, and, and he'd come in and say, uh, oh, yeah, the guy at the store uh, knew who I was because uh, of my dad, so, um, you know, he gave me this uh, shirt, or he gave me this camera, or he gave me this. I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I says, okay. I says, well, back then I used to smoke cigarettes. I don't know. Yeah. I said, okay, well, next time you go to the store, see if the guy will give you a carton of... Uh, Whenever I was smoking at the time, you know, then it's, oh, see, I'll give you a, a case of beer, you know. Right, right. You know, of course, I was like, Jesus Christ, I know what you're
0: doing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So
1: I wasn't much of a, you know.
0: <laughs> you were you were enabling, right?
1: Yes. But we grew out of that, of course. <laughs>
0: right. That's great. Oh, my God. So how's your relationship with him now? Do you, do you still, have, do you still mean, have a relationship?
1: Yeah. Remember, my phone kept texting. I don't like to, to. Uh, I'm going to see it, make sure it wasn't him because that would be very interesting if it was. Um, no, it wasn't. But yeah, he texts me on a regular basis and sends me voice mails, voice texts, whatever you call it, voice memos, and uh, we stay in touch. Yeah, we're very close. It's like he's one of the five people in this world I would die for, and I really mean that.
0: On the Dan and Benny show, you tell a story about uh, him getting you a truck, right? And I, yeah. I really love that story. So, for fans that didn't hear it on that show and tune into this show, could you? tell that story again
1: yeah and also I'm just the people can see this the story i'm telling yes just, just google it on youtube or whatever how you whatever you know, i'm not technical but... all over you got it yeah but um basically uh young rock uh season i believe it was season two it might have been season one i can't remember was being filmed in atlanta which is only like six hours from memphis give or take where i live so they said that they're gonna put me on a little uh Cameo uh, on the show. It had to be season one because Ryan, the actor that plays me, wasn't even in the picture yet. Downtown Bruno right. wasn't in the picture yet. It was still when he was a child or whatever. So they they had me be an audience member, like the grown up Dwayne was running for president or whatever. You know, if you've watched the show, and they're like an audience, like hollering out things to him or whatever. So they just had me like an inside joke. I'm in the audience. Hey you or whatever. I, said. I don't even remember what I said. So uh, anyway, I, that's what I was down there for, and truthfully, for, for me to get a little payday, he was throwing me a bone. That's great. So uh, I got there the day before for wardrobe fitting or whatnot, and
0: now you guys were filming in Australia though, right? No, I,
1: that was that was season two in the pandemic. Gotcha. Hit. gotcha. Okay, I, got it. Go. Yeah. All right. I did all mine on Zoom.
0: Okay. <laughs> you zoomed it? Huh? <laughs> oh
1: yeah. But season one, uh, they just brought me down to Atlanta. So then uh, Dwayne says, uh, "We're going to have them." you know, interview you and me together as a reunions. I hadn't seen him in like seven years or something at that time. So we were talking. He goes, tell the story when you you and me got together and you got me my first car and we're talking. And the guy's filming it with the, you know, camera. And about that time, this truck comes driving in right into the thing. And I'm thinking, oh, God, we're going to do this all over again. I just thought it was some random person drove the truck into the shot. And he goes, well, he goes, You bought me my first car, so now I've got the opportunity to repay you by telling you this is your brand-new truck. Mm. I almost fell on the floor. I mean, I I I literally cried. Sure. Bought me a brand-new truck, gave it to me, lock, stock, and barrel. And uh, I said, "Well, what do I do now? Do I drive it home? He goes, no, we're going to have to put it on a flatbed truck and bring it to Mississippi. And uh, they, they brought it on a flatbed truck, and I went and got the, you know, tags put in Mississippi tags, took it out his name and whatnot and yeah, that was a wonderful thing. I didn't expect it. I didn't I mean I don't know what to say. It's just one of the most wonderful things, if not the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me, you know.
0: Well it, it, it it's good that someone again, we could go back to as you know, again, you're saying you were practically his age anyway, but you, you you influenced his life and you made him a better person and it's great to see someone repay someone back in some sort of fashion, right? right? So pretty good story. Yeah, I love it, that story, yeah. man.
1: He's just a great and wonderful person. He's he really is. He's a fantastic person. Um, he he hasn't went Hollywood. I mean, literally. Yes, he's in Hollywood. Okay, don't type away. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? He hasn't. He's still the same guy that I knew. I mean, obviously he's financially in, uh, on Novocaine, you know what I mean? And was, sure. And, and he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> but, I mean, as far as the person he is, he's the same guy that's with, with better uh, uh, items to accompany with. Him, you know what I mean?
0: When you were in Hawaii working for the Maivia family, what, what was that family like to work for?
1: Well, uh, it's funny. That's when I first met Atta, uh, Dewey's mother. Mm. She was a godsend to me. We're very close to this day. Um, she was an angel to me. Leah was hard. Like on The Young Rock, they show how Leah, right, that's yeah. pretty much how she was, you know. Um, I was the bad guy, heel manager, and I did an interview one day. Oh, you Samoans are no good. You need somebody like me to tell you what to do because you're too stupid. I heard her tell Lars Anderson, we got to get rid of that guy. He hates Samoans. What? Why do we? Why is he even here if he hates us? It's like... <laughs> I'm the bad guy. What am I supposed to do? I love you, Samoa. You know, yeah, right. for some reason that really set her off. And to this day, I I bring that up. You know, but Ata, God bless her, she was wonderful. Okay, wonderful, and she was my influence because I worked in the office all day. You know, we weren't working arenas every night because you know it's small, you know, island area. We didn't have matches every night. Maybe a couple or three times a week, maybe at the most. So I, I worked in the office all during the day under Leah it was hard because she was she would just she was not the easiest person to work for but i mean god bless her you know at the end that's just how she was but you know it, it does my heart good to know that otta was there for me to to be the buffer that obviously Dwayne knows how she was too because look how they she was portrayed they didn't portray her on young rock like she was this wonderful angel they show she was a, a hard-nosed type taskmaster so you know it uh it is what it is, as they say.
0: How was Lars Anderson? Was he as much as a prick as they portrayed him
1: to be? <laughs> he could be, but never to me. I always got along with him. I, in fact, I, me and him, Kevin Sullivan and uh, Rocky Ayakea did uh, Tales of the Territories out in Los yeah, Angeles yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. And that's the first time I'd seen Lars in like probably 38 years or something like that. We got along. He's a hard-nosed guy. But, you know, Another thing, too, and don't let anybody get mad at me for saying this, this is the truth. He's a Minnesota guy, and they're not outgoing like us, Mississippi guys, or y'all New Yorkers. Right. They're more, you they're know,
0: more. They're more Ole Anderson. Right. Yeah.
1: So, he's, sometimes they might take his stoic personality as prickness, which I don't think it is. He could be hard to get along with at times, but uh, I actually stayed with him when I was in Hawaii at his condo. Had my own bedroom and everything, and, uh. I get along good with him. I, I personally have no issues with him. I did see some of those issues with others, but not with me. Mm. And as far as the thing on the tails of the territories when him and Leah got in trouble or whatever, and they got beat up or he got beat up, I wasn't there. I was already gone. Right. So I, I they asked me about it then. I, I, I can't comment. I wasn't there. You know.
0: So you start wrestling You know, you start in the wrestling business at a really young age, right? Yes. Um, being that you were in that business, did it affect you in your personal life that you could not adapt personally, like, to regular folk?
1: I guess in a in a way, yeah, because back then we protected the business to the point of, you know, I couldn't do this, you know. Yeah, sure. Right, and, that's and sure. Yeah, I guess I didn't, and we, we were very, uh, circle the wagons type thing back then. We mostly associated with other people in our profession, uh.
0: But, I mean, you mentioned you were married twice, right? Yeah. I mean, we all go through marriages or whatever right. else. That was way after. Way after when you retired, you got remarried? Well, married? no,
1: I should say it was way after when I first broke in. I no, I get that. it. Yeah, but yeah. you're
0: still in the biz. Right. Now you're with your wife. You've been in the biz a long time. It's the only thing you really know, right? You meet someone, you get married. Is it like, yeah, geez, I'm not kind of into this marriage thing. I'm used to being on the road. I'm used <laughs> well, actually, to doing no. this. Or... To
1: be honest with you, that had nothing to do with either one of my marriages. Not working my second wife, God bless her, she's had some health issues, and, you know, that's, you know, God bless her. We still talk. Good. My first wife, honestly, I don't even know what ever happened to her. I mean, we used to stay in touch somewhat. But that was a, the first uh, breakup, that was a hard one, you know. It's just, it. we were both too young. I was in my 20s. She was like 19, you know, so that was, a, that was a hard one. This other one was harder, too, but in a different way, you know what I mean? But no, neither one of it had to do with the business. It was just... You know things. You
0: know just didn't work out.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Do you Do you feel like um, if you could do it all over, like start over again, would you have chosen this profession?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because I'm I'm far from rich, but I've, my house is paid for. I've been all over the world. I'm sitting here talking to you, and I'm not saying it to you know be funny. I'm serious. Like things yeah, like this. I If I was digging ditches or something, or even if I went to work for the railroad or something and was getting a pension, I wouldn't have what I do have. I wouldn't have had the friends I've made. Uh, I wouldn't have had the experiences I've had. The only thing I would do different, looking back, if I could go back in time, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I smoked cigarettes back then. That probably has something to do with my voice being like this. I haven't smoked a cigarette in 30 years.
0: Good man. I
1: I would have never smoked a cigarette. I wouldn't have... Very openness. I got two DUIs back in the eighties. That cost me quite a bit of money, and I could have killed myself or somebody else. Thank God I didn't. Never drink and drive. I wouldn't drink and drive again for nothing. But I would have not done that. You know, there's of course we've all got things.
0: Everybody's got something. Yes,
1: and I would have a lot more money if I didn't have those DUIs and the marriages and the issues. But. I've more than made up for the money I've lost, you know, and I've, I've I've taken care of my money well. Like I said, my house is paid for. Um, I made some mistakes. I would just I would still stay in the business, but there were certain things I would do, and certain things that I did that I wouldn't. I'd go back and undo. But you know what? It's like Willie Nelson says. There's nothing nothing I can do about it now. So just onward and upward. Just don't make the same mistakes twice. How do
0: you like today's wrestling against the wrestling you grew up with? Um, what, well, are you, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, naturally, the wrestling I grew up in, in is in my heart, but I also know today's wrestling. These guys are just much better athletes, much better performers, much better everything than than. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not knocking people.
0: Right.
1: Let's just say not better, but just different. We weren't in our day. It was different. Okay. It's just—it's almost like comparing apples and oranges. You know, it's—it's it's a whole well, different
0: thing. Let, let, let me rephrase it then. How about yeah. this? So, right back in the day, more punch, kick, armbar. Now it's a few more high spots or more athletic wrestling. Probably, for yeah. a Better term.
1: It's just a different, different. Would, would uh, you
0: on the other end? Would you say the mic work is better then or now?
1: I would say the mic work is better in our day, and that maybe that's maybe that's just me. Because that was my day. But we didn't have people telling us what to say back then. Okay? Which here's the thing these guys now didn't have the luxury that guys like me had to be in a territory and work every night, you know, and learn from different people and learn different styles and learn different whatever. We, by the time me and a lot of us guys in my day got to the WWE, we'd already been in the business for years and worked umpteen different territories. These guys don't have that luxury. Yeah, some of us struggled some. There were some territories like Kansas City we didn't make a lot of money. And sometimes when I was in Louisiana didn't make a lot of money. Had fun, learned a lot. Uh Now these guys come straight out of wrestling school or maybe not even wrestling school, maybe straight out of some other form of athleticism or whatever and go to the uh developmental in yeah, sure. Florida or whatever. Yeah. So they have to be taught how to Okay, remember this thing to say on tv we didn't have that with me it'd be like uh okay Bruno you're wrestling Monty uh tomorrow night uh make sure you remind the people that this is a no holds bars match okay right. get out there you got three minutes right and you know now it'd be like Monty you are no good and <laughs> I will get you. you know I couldn't do that I love it yeah if I had to do it now I couldn't I couldn't do that right just i you know just give me the bullet points tell me what not to say and uh you know, and we had another thing, too, in our day. We had a lot of the, like, Dusty Rhodes, Superstar Billy Graham, my, uh, and even some of the lesser-known guys that was in Memphis with me, you know, could do the, the the jive talking. They don't really do that anymore. You know, like, you know, uh, I'll tell you something. Right here, right now, downtown good-looking Bruno, 185 pounds of walking, talking, roping, stomping, downtown destruction, downtown born and downtown bred. And when I die, I'll be downtown dead it's like mama says it bees that way sometime live with it you know this is bam just like that very good that's incredible well thank you holy (laughs) cow wow you know what i am the man that walked that barbed wire fence barefooted been bad been good dallas vegas and hollywood got a 45 pistol on a 38 frame boom you know just whatever i (laughs) guess
0: unbelievable what wrestler got you into wrestling
1: uh, making a living got me into wrestling. It That's was, it? Yeah.
0: So it wasn't like one, you saw one guy and you're like, oh, I want to get involved in that. And no, I was, I
1: was uh, offered an opportunity to travel with Mid-Continental Wrestling, Dale Mann, uh, out of West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, whatever. Uh, I think, is it East? No, Western Pennsylvania, I believe it was. Um, I get, was given the opportunity to, to go on the ring crew. That's how it all started. And then I got to learn in the business as I went along and I and I said well I'd like to do that you know and I just kept doing it ever mm-hmm. since um, so yeah it was nobody now uh, before, I wouldn't say as a fan but as a new guy to the business I was certain guys that I really liked to watch and that were really impressive to me in every way Jared King Lawler of course Dusty Rhodes I think was great Dick Murdoch who I was a good friends with later on down the uh, line, um, one guy I never got to work with, but I thought was incredible was uh, the magnificent Don Morocco. Oh, yeah, to me he was right up there with Lawler and him. I mean Morocco's tremendous. You know mm. I loved watching him. But that's when I was getting getting started in the business. I like I like to to uh, watch different guys and learn from them. I mean I know I was never going to be a intercontinental champion like Don Morocco, but I I like his you know procedures in the ring I like just talking you know so he was him Lawler Dusty Rhodes Dick Murdoch I liked you know uh, a lot of guys I liked watching a lot of guys a lot of y'all wouldn't have probably heard of just Memphis guys but you know I learned a lot from a lot of guys in Memphis too
0: so you've been around the game a long time you've seen a lot of stuff what would you say was the saddest day you ever
1: experienced in pro wrestling July 4th 1994 when I was in the wreck, maybe what an hour, hour and a half from here, with Joey Morella, Gorilla Monsoon son, um, without a doubt, nothing even comes in second place. I mean, the boy—I and I say boy—he was only thirty-one at the time. The boy died in my practically in my arms, you know. In the in the, uh, nothing comes close to that, you know. I mean, coming back from Ocean City, Maryland, heading to Newark, he was driving. I was asleep. Unfortunately, so was he. Mm. And uh, he—I've got the accident report in my safety deposit box at home in, in uh, Mississippi. Basically, just blunt force trauma to the head. You know, he was just—he was gone right there. He didn't suffer, at least.
0: Thank God. Um, did you end up having a conversation with Gorilla Monsoon? And yeah, what was that like?
1: Well, I'll tell you. He, uh, we talked on the phone, and he said, "You know, I don't blame you in any way, because those things happen." You know, and I'll see you back at. You know, I didn't even miss it. I didn't even miss one day of work. We were that was July fourth. We were off for like four or five days after that, and always. I mean, not because of the wreck. I started back the very next week in uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Wow! Didn't miss a day of work. Wow! And uh, that's back when Gino, you know, Gorilla was the. On screen, I think president of WWE yeah, sure. or commissioner or something. Commit, yeah. So, and I was, you know, Harvey Whippleman, the bad guy manager. So, I seen Gino. We hugged and everything. Then we had to do an interaction thing where he would say, well, Harvey, blah, blah, blah. So, I was doing my part. And this is what really broke the ice. When I said, let me tell you something, you know, good, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, let me tell you something, you little pimp quick. You know what I mean? It broke the ice. and we was like business as usual
0: back to life
1: yeah back to life
0: to me that's amazing you know that right it's like i you know but both of you guys i don't know how you could recover so so fast
1: i was blessed by the lord i'm a very strong catholic christian so i believe strongly in that um uh, i thank god i wish joey would have lived of course but i mean if god was ready like i have the letter at home that gino wrote me um I don't think his wife wrote it, but I think it was Gino's work. Can,
0: can you share a little bit about that? Oh, Boyle? yeah. Sure. He, he
1: said apparently God needed a, a right-hander and not a manager at this time. Right-hander, a referee. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So that that was, you know, it meant a lot to me.
0: Um, I mean, that does say a lot about Monsoon, right? That he just lost his son, but he's also worried about you and how it's affecting you. And he right. felt it necessary to, to write you about yes. that.
1: Yeah, it meant a lot to me because... I mean, it was nobody's fault. I don't know what happened to cause that to, for Joey. So, I mean, it was just, it was traumatic. You know, I mean, how else can you put it? It was just, but I had to keep moving, you know, and it was like I was in a the hospital there in, in uh, Morristown, North North uh, Jersey, and, you know, there was no cell phones or nothing back in. And I don't know how bad he was mutilated or, or, or sure. whatever. I don't know. Here's the thing. I wouldn't know you from the President of the United States without my glasses. Okay. Right. I'm very near and far sighted. I've got no line bifocal. I can't see without my glasses, period. Well God saw fit to take my glasses off of me in the yeah. wreck. They flew off my head or whatever. Obviously it was, you know, traumatic accident. So I didn't get to see, thankfully, Joey, you know. I can't see. There's no cell phones. I always have an extra pair of glasses in my suitcase out in the car right now, you know, because if something happens to these, I'm screwed, right. you know, it's all yeah, like. sure. so I'm rooting around trying to find my suitcase, and I can't find it. Evidently, it was thrown away from the vehicle. I can't see. i never forget this. I says, Joey, you're dead, ain't you? Hmm. He didn't answer. There was a smell like I've never smelled before. It was obviously the smell of death, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I'm no... Expert on that, or no pathologist, wherever were, the word, coroner. But it was a smell i never smelled before. It had to be the smell of death. I, I, you know, not to be morbid. I'm just being truthful. I can't see anything. I can see light. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Like, it's not black. You know what I mean. I can see. I can take my glasses. I can see. I can tell there's a person right. sitting there. You know, but I I couldn't identify you. You know what I mean? say so way I can hear the traffic on the highway, and I can see the lights of the. You know. Nobody can even see because we're so far down that ditch, that, that hill or whatever you want to call it. Nobody can know what it So I crawled up. I can't see. I'm crawling towards the light. Uh, literally, not, you know, to heaven. You know what I'm saying? Towards the light. And I get up there. I'm waving my arms. Well, nobody can see that there was a car in the ditch or nothing. So they just thought, oh, this is, this is some crackpot. I, I, you know what I mean? I would have thought the same thing. Um, long story short, finally this truck driver stopped. Because he's seen where the guardrail was smashed. I guess he painted that. And I'll never forget it. This is th- almost uh, 30 years ago. His name was Tobias Schrock. I'll never forget it because, you know, his name was in the accident report and everything. Uh, God willing, I hope he's still living and thriving and doing well. And if he hears this, I ain't never forgot you for this. He got on his CB or whatever and called, you know, uh whoever he called the authorities or whatever before you know it it was lit up like the fourth of july there there was ambulances fire trucks police you name it and they got me to the hospital a little while later in the hospital uh they said uh is your name bruno lauer yes we found your suitcase oh thank god i put my glasses on nobody would tell me i kept asking is is how about the other guy how about the other guy i was hoping somebody would say he was knocked out but he's okay whatever right Finally, this one doctor came in and said, yeah, he didn't make it. At least I I wasn't happy to hear that. Don't get me wrong, but I needed to know. You know, I was happy ain't the right word, but I just needed closure of one way or the other. I didn't want to be, is he laying as a vegetable? Is he, whatever, I just need to know. And uh, all I ever got out of the whole thing was a broken nose, and like two stitches in my hand. You can't even see it now. I guess if I really studied, I could find it. But that was it. Yeah, I guess God. my nose hit the dashboard or something, you know. But And Joey lost his life, you know. So I, get, I almost lost mine for the business. So, you know, thank you, Jesus, you know. And God bless Joey. I hope he's having a great uh, reunion with uh, Gino in, in heaven. I know he's in heaven, and I know Gino is. So they're in a better place than us, you know.
0: All right, man, I want to thank you for joining us. Incredible interview. Great job. Thank you so thank much. You. Uh, where can fans see you upcoming? Got anything upcoming?
1: Uh, December the 2nd, I'm going to be at the uh, uh, Pop Culture Comic Con in Dyersburg, Tennessee at the uh, uh, Fanel Center in Dyersburg, Tennessee on Highway 50. No, the Lanham Center, I'm sorry. Dyersburg, Tennessee, December 2nd. I'll be there from noon to 4 p.m. And that night at the uh, Pro Wrestling Mid-South at the Herb Welch Wrestleplex, I'll be a special referee for Pro Wrestling Mid-South that night, uh, Bell Time, 7:30 p.m. And that's my next uh, appearances. So they're both in Dyersburg. You can see me twice in one day. Uh, and uh, other than that, uh, you can uh, purchase the Downtown Bruno t-shirts on Pro Wrestling Tees, and uh, you can go on. Uh, on uh, Uh, crowbarpress.com and get a copy of it's it's been out for over I think 10 15 years now but the, the book that just expands on what we've talked about today called wrestling with the truth by Bruno Lauer which is my real name and uh You know, anybody that enjoyed this interview may enjoy that. So,
0: Well, I know I I will. I'll be buying it. Incredible stories, and I can't wait to learn more. And, again, thank you for taking the time to come on our show, and God bless you. God bless you. I want to thank you, everybody, for joining us on this Sunday. Abe, you made it. You're a star. Rough weekend. I'll see you on Thursday. You've been watching Long Island's number one pro wrestler broadcast. Have a great rest of your weekend.